Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So we are going to start a new series, and for a lot of us, um, we've been going through, well, all of us as a church, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, um, which was started last year, and today we're starting a new uh, series called Preach the Gospel. What does that title do to you? Preach the Gospel. What What does that stir up within you? What thoughts does that statement bring? What questions does it raise? Some of you might be thinking, well, actually, Nick, um, that's your job. Nick, I'm not a preacher. Uh, I don't like to be preached at, so I won't be doing no preaching. Thank you very much. Or you might be thinking, well, Nick, what's the gospel anyway? You know, lots of people have kind of have different ideas of what the gospel might be. Or you might be sitting there thinking, Nick, my friends and family just don't want to hear it. So that's not going to happen. Now, over the next few weeks, I want to encourage all of us as a church to be confident in the simple gospel and eloquent, but not arrogant in how we preach it. Uh, Maybe share the gospel is a more palatable title, or maybe share the good news. Maybe we kind of want to lower our expectations, but preach the gospel sounds a little bit too Pentecostal for some of us. Uh, Maybe it's like, I don't really feel comfortable in preaching the gospel. And we have three big goals that we're praying for during this this series. One, that we would know and experience the gospel for our lives personally. Secondly, that we, we would gain a new passion and some tools for sharing the gospel. And then thirdly, that we would see the difference the gospel makes in our everyday lives and live it out. Let me just pray for us and then we're going to jump straight into this. So Jesus, I just thank you that you are the gospel. Jesus, you are the good news. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that it's through your work and through your power that you reveal who Jesus is and the love of God each one of us and Lord I pray that we wouldn't be ashamed or afraid uh, or embarrassed about telling others about you but Lord that you would stir up that gift of evangelism, that gift of preaching that gift of living out this life that you've called us to I pray that for our friends and for our family that don't know you that we would be the gospel to them, that we would be good news, that we would be pointing uh, them to you and inviting them into a relationship with you. Amen. One thing I've noticed, especially over the last three years, is that we are addicted to news. I've had so many conversations with people recently where they've come out with some really interesting statements. It's like we have fake news, we have GB news, we have Daily Mail news, we have Guardian news, we have all these different news things that feed into us and we kind of lap it up. And as a culture, we are addicted to news. And the thing about the news is it changes how we think, 
it changes how we feel and it changes how we live. It also changes our views of other people. And I wonder, how do you respond to bad news? How do you respond to disappointment and loss? I want to give you a little glimpse into my life and something which deeply grieves me. Now, each morning, I start the day with a bowl of porridge. I come downstairs, uh, I put the kettle on, fill a bowl with about a third or a half of porridge oats, depending on how I'm feeling, and then cover the oats with water, not milk, and then uh, a little bit of salt, a little bit, not too much. Uh, Pop it in the microwave for about two minutes and 30 seconds, approximately. Uh, In the meantime, the water in the kettle has got to about 80 degrees Celsius and is ready to be poured over my exactly 2.3 scoops of coffee uh, in my cafetiere. Now, this all happens without fail most mornings, except when the weather gets a little bit hotter, and then I don't go for the hot porridge, I tend to move more into muesli. But generally, it's porridge every single day. However, sometimes tragedy strikes. Sometimes if I've got distracted or not measure things out quite exactly how I want them to be, then the porridge bubbles over the bowl and onto the glass microwave plate that isn't always as clean as it should be. Now, this has the potential to ruin my day. At this point, I wonder, does God even love me? Now, that's a bit of extreme and also extremely trivial. But what is it for you? What is it for you that causes you to question your faith? Now, it's not really porridge for me. There's a whole load of things that make me think, God, are you really there? God, is that really what you wanted to happen? How does the good news overcome the bad news? So how does the the fact that good news is not only coming, but good news is here, how does that change the way we look at the life around us? Has it changed the way we view other people? Has it changed what's going on inside of us? Now, it used to be easy in our culture to preach the gospel because people in our country had a Christian context. There used to be like a cultural framework. People knew the biblical story, and generally it felt like we were a Christian culture. And then go back over 100 years, World War I had a huge impact on belief in this country and in Europe in general. So all the countries fighting in the fields of Europe, except for Turkey, had a Christian ideology. Those people that survived came back deeply scarred and deeply disillusioned with faith, with church, and with God. They had experienced such horror and hatred. They had experienced such trauma and tragedy that life and faith was deeply damaged and distorted. One commentator wrote that the experience of war affected how people thought about God, about society, and about life. The survivors were no longer the same people they were before the war. They could not think, see, feel in the same way. And they were not content with the old answers to their questions. How could the gospel be good news when they experienced so much death and destruction, so much pain and suffering? And men stopped going to church and families lost faith. And now 100 years on from World War I, and the Bible may still be a bestseller, but there is a huge degree of biblical illiteracy. 
Bible stories can often become just that. They become myths to many. And so within that culture, where is the good news? With so much hatred out there, where is the love? See, the good news is that God himself has stepped into a world of pain. Jesus, fully human and also fully divine, took on the pain and the suffering, absorbed the hatred and the horror, and broke the power of death and destruction. And that is good news. And when we come to church on a Sunday, when we go to life group, that has to be in the background. That has to be at the forefront as well. Otherwise, we're just coming along. We're going through this whole habitual, oh, we go to church because that's what we do on a Sunday. But there has to be something about the gospel that is good news for our day-to-day lives. See, we see the love of God in the life and death of Jesus, that he would endure the cross to reconcile us to God and to put, what, put right what has been broken. So what is the gospel? The, the gospel is good news. Um, so what, two, three weeks ago, we had Easter and we talked about, and then we did the whole th- thing on go and make disciples and we finished the gospel of, of Matthew. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the church in the city of Corinth why the resurrection is vital to the faith of disciples. And he says this, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. He says that the gospel I preach to you. The Greek there is, is to euangelion ho euangelisimon. There we go. Something like that. I don't do Greek very often, and that's why. Um, or, put it into English, the gospel I gospeled. So we have it translated, uh, the gospel I preached to you. But the actual Greek really means the gospel I gospeled. To gospel something was to proclaim good news. And so there was a gospel of Caesar Augustus back in the day where the Romans came in, they would talk about the euangelion, the gospel, the good news that the Romans are here. And you can have this peace of Rome, this Pax Romana. And if you don't really like it, then there are ways of dealing with that. But in the day when Paul was writing and the gospel writers were writing, the culture had gospels, declarations that the king was here. So to gospel something was to proclaim good news. It was to announce a declaration. And these Corinthians had heard what Paul proclaimed, what he had gospeled to them, and they believed it, and it had become the firm foundation on which they now lived. And the gospel that he gospeled was the same one as Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They all had the gospel according to this person. And they were all the, the, the authentic, reliable gospel, the good news of the apostles. And Paul had received it, and then he'd passed it on. So what was this gospel that Paul proclaimed? The gospel was simple. It was Jesus lived, Jesus died 
for our sins, just as the ancient scriptures that the whole of the Old Testament, not just a few little bits, but the whole of the Old Testament said he would, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, again, just as the scriptures said he would. And then in this passage, Paul goes on to say that Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the 12 and then Paul and that he is alive now. You see, receiving and believing the gospel then leads to salvation. See, we are invited to respond to the gospel. We're invited to respond to the good news of who Jesus is. See, the, the announcement of the death and the resurrection of Jesus fulfills and completes and resolves the story of Israel in the Old Testament and results in salvation. See, the gospel and what has become known in sort of evangelical churches as the plan of salvation are not really the same thing. One leads to the other. The gospel leads to that response. And we'll focus more on this probably next week, but I'd also point you to uh, Scott McKnight's book, The King Jesus Gospel. See, the central question of the Bible is not, how can I be saved? That's kind of like the me question. The central question of the Bible is, who is God? And the question of the New Testament is, who is Jesus? And this is the God question. And the, the me question, of how I can be, be saved, follows the Jesus question. So Scott McKnight says, the fundamental job of the evangelist, and even if I say that word, some of you are like, oh, I don't like that word. The fundamental job of the sharer or the preacher of the gospel is not to get people to feel guilty about sins or to feel terrorized by an angry God. The central question of evangelism or gospeling is, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? What is the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. He himself is the good news. He is the greatest news that has ever been broken to the human race. He is the news that God is like Jesus. So how is God dealing with the tragedy and the trauma? How is God dealing with the hate and the horror that's around us? And I had a conversation with somebody, I think it was just two weeks ago. They came up to me and said, came up to me at the end and said, Nick, I want you to talk about pain and suffering. I want you to, to talk about all the all the awfulness that's going on in the world and what's the answer to that. And it's easy to be caught up in the day-to-day -day news and just absorb all the horror and the hatred, and just for us to get more and more disillusioned. But the point is, that in all that bad news that's out there, Jesus is the good news. He has done something about the world that we're in. And then we have a response to follow him in his mission and be the good news to the world around us because we follow him. I'll come back to that in a moment. But where is the love for the, the answer the gospel writers and Paul gives us is to look to Jesus. In Jesus, we see how God is putting the world right. In Jesus, we see how we can be restored and reconciled. In Jesus, we see the love of God. 
Now, at that point, we should get some hallelujahs or some amens or something in, in this room because that is good news. Don't hold back. Thank you. In Jesus, we see the love of God. And preaching the gospel starts with sharing the love of God. That's my one point today. Preaching the gospel starts with the love of God. When it comes to proclaiming the good news, what if we saw evangelism as simply joining in the conversation that God is already having with somebody? Not having all the clever answers and the wise and persuasive words, but expressing love and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. What if preaching the gospel starts with sharing the love of God? And so I've got a couple of questions for you. One is, what do I believe about God? What do you believe about God? And your faith may have taken a beating over the last two years or three years or five years, but you're still hanging in there. You're still turning up. You're still showing up on a Sunday. You're still part of this church community because there's something there in what you've seen about Jesus. And Jesus shows us what God is like. What do you believe about God? What do you believe in terms of the good news? Second question is, how do I join in the conversation God is already having with people I meet? Those people I see on a day-to-day basis, those people I see weekly, those brothers or sisters, family members, those people that I find really, really difficult at work. What is the conversation that God is having with that person? And how do I join in with that? How do I say, what's going on in your life? What's going on? Where is there good news in your life? And this isn't a sales technique. This is treating somebody like a fellow human being. It's treating somebody like a friend and engaging with them and sharing good news. Then thirdly, how do I express the love of God to this person? Now, if you've got your Bible with me, and I want to encourage you to be bringing your Bible on a regular basis. Because I think we've kind of got dependent on our phones and other things. And it's easy, isn't it? This is just another thing to carry for a lot of us. But there is something about reading from a proper book. And this is a proper book. So in 1 John 4, and we're going to sort of land with this, which is a bit unusual for me. John says this. Now, John was, he named himself the beloved disciple. He got something about the love of God and and who Jesus was. And he was madly in love with Jesus. It changed his whole perspective. He was the one that, was, was, that endured right through to the end. He was also one that people tried really hard to kill and didn't quite manage it. And so they end up exiling him to Patmos and all the rest of it. But he says this, Dear friends, this is uh, 1 John 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Zach, could you put me on to the next slide? Thank you. 
Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life, or you could say abundant life, through him. You could also say the kingdom life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Your translation might say, love is made complete in us. His love is brought to full expression. One of our key values is expressing love in practical ways. And what John's saying here is God's love has been revealed to the world in Jesus. To truly see the lengths to which God will go to in restoring us back into relationship, we only need to look at the cross. As we turn to God, we, as we receive his love, as we believe in Jesus, we become those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring restoration and reconciliation to the world around us. So when we look around the world, we see child poverty, we see food poverty, we see homelessness, we see debt, we see wars, we see awfulness around us. Rather than just going, well, God, what are you doing about that? Rather than saying, oh, it's somebody else's problem. How do we, as followers of Jesus, step into that problem and become Jesus to those people around us? Just as Jesus stepped into the pain of this world, we are Jesus to so many people, and we are pointing them to the real Jesus. We're saying he is the good news. As we turn to God, as we receive his love, we believe in Jesus, we become those who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring restoration and reconciliation. In Jesus, God has set us an example on how to live life. John says, therefore, we love one another. And as we do, God lives in us. Later on, it says that God abides in us. He dwells in us. And there's shadows there of right at the beginning of of the Gospel of John, where he says how love has come and dwelt among us. He dwells in us and his love is made complete in us. See, Jesus showed the world what God was truly like. And as followers of Jesus, we are given the same mission. We unveil to a broken world that God is love. And so preaching the gospel always starts with sharing the love of God. So what will that look like for you? Who has God called you to love? Who has God called you to reach? And the problem with the word love is it becomes just like an emotional feeling for some of us. This week, uh, Vicky and I celebrated 10,000 days of being married. We worked it out from 
It's quite, it's, no one ever celebrates days, it's always years, but 10,000 days. Now, we haven't kind of done 10,000 days just feeling emotional love towards one another. There's a commitment to one another. There's like a disposition. We choose to love one another. We choose to do things that demonstrate love. She might not know it, but for Vicky, it's emptying the dishwasher before me. <laughs> and I, I see that, that emptying of the dishwasher in the morning. I go, thank you. I feel loved. Uh, or I feel, phew, haven't had to do it. Um, but who has God called you to reach? What things has God called you to do to demonstrate love for somebody else? It might be somebody you're in relationship with. It might be somebody at work. It might be a neighbor. What does it look like to demonstrate love? In what way can you express God's love to others? Now, at some point, somebody might push back and say, well, you know, Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and where necessary, use words. And we're not going to use any words when we preach the gospel. We're just going to show love. But at some point, words are necessary. At some point, we do need to talk about the hope that we found in Jesus. See, the gospel we bring is the same in all places and all times and among all peoples. But how we communicate the gospel so that people can understand may and will necessarily vary from group to group. So remember that God has already been at work in other people's lives even before we've arrived. That we're joining God in the conversation he's already having with somebody. And one of the keys to gospeling the gospel is to identify where and how he's already been at work so we can cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is already doing. So to finish with, there's three things that I would suggest. Firstly, we are called to serve. If we are not serving this community in meaningful ways, and if we're not serving our neighbourhood communities in meaningful ways, we don't really get a voice to start speaking into other people's lives. And I, just, I would also suggest that in our church community, our faith community, we serve one another out of love, not out of a sense of duty and obligation, we say, yeah, I'll put my name down on a rotor, not out of duty or responsibility, but because I love the people that I'm in community with. And that's what people in the band, that's what people on the tech team, people that uh, welcome people on the catering, they say, yeah, this is an act of love, I'm going to put my name down and I will turn up once a month, twice a month, whenever is needed, because I want to demonstrate my love for my community. And it's the same things in our neighbourhoods that we don't just sort of hide away, that we say, this is what I'm going to do to demonstrate love. We serve those around us. We serve out of love for one another. We serve people in ways that are meaningful and helpful to them. So you are called to serve. Secondly, we are called to build authentic relationships. We are called to build friendships. The, the people around us are people that they're not projects. They're not potential sales targets. That we need to engage in mutual peer relationships with those that we are called to serve. That we pray for those that are close to us. We pray for opportunities to share the love of God. As we build those authentic relationships, we listen to others. 
and we understand their needs. We listen really intently and say, what is going on in this person's life? We develop and invest in genuine relationships. And it's the same whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. In fact, I would argue, because I am one, that introverts are actually better off at this because they can connect with somebody one-to-one and really listen well. Whereas more extroverted people tend to kind of work the whole room. So if you're an introvert, this isn't an opt-out. That you can develop relationships with people, meaningful, deep relationships. Thirdly, that we're called to reach people with the gospel. And yes, that means loving people, but it also means communicating the message of Jesus with our actions, but also our words in the context of those relationships that we've built. That we engage in meaningful and spiritual conversations. That we constantly tell his story and we constantly tell our story. So this is what Jesus means to me. This is why I follow Jesus. Do we engage in those conversations to the extent that people are asking you about your faith and belief? Otherwise, we're just sort of secret, hidden, uh, unsalty salt, unlit light, all those things. We're, We're not showing people what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, Right at the start of this series, I want to encourage you with those three questions. What is it that you believe about God? And maybe your belief has taken a kicking. And this is an opportunity to say, God, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. God, where have I strayed from you? Where have I gone my own way? Whenever I think about the love of God, I always go back to the story of the prodigal son, that wherever he is, he remembers what his father is like, and he turns and he comes back. And as he turns back, the father runs to him. Do you believe in a God that will run to you, a God that we sing about in terms of reckless love? that will run to you and embrace you and take you back in? Secondly, how do you join in the conversation that God is already having with the people that you meet? Are you open to the Holy Spirit's prompting and the ability to ask those questions that are meaningful and spiritual and that go beyond the superficial? Not in kind of a weird kind of, I'm going to kind of sneak Jesus into this conversation, but having genuine questions because you care and love about the person you're talking with. Then thirdly, how do you express the love of God to this person? What does that look like for you? Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.